So we're on week two of a series of talks based on the kingdom of God, which is a massive topic. And we're really mindful that, that some of these talks, there's quite a lot of information to take in, whilst others of you would probably love to go a little bit deeper into this topic. And um, because of that, we're sending around some small group resources this week to help explain this and unpack it further. And we'd definitely say last week's talk that John did is available online. If you missed it, definitely, definitely go back and watch that. But if this topic is, is new to you and it's the first time you've heard about it, I'll just say don't worry if it doesn't all make sense. Take in what you can. That's absolutely fine. And um, if you'd like to get your head a little bit more around it, a couple of books that I'd recommend. Um, one is Storylines, a book by um, Andy Croft and Mike Pilavacci. It's not specifically about the kingdom. It's about understanding the Bible. But it's a brilliant book and it's got a great chapter on the kingdom. just to get the basics and then if you're a little bit further along I'd recommend a book by a vineyard scholar called Derek Morphew called Breakthrough he's on his sixth edition of this book so it's got to be pretty good by now Um, so definitely get that one okay so last week I was on a camping trip in the you know the good weather we we land we the Lord gave favored us and uh, so uh, this guy a few tents down caught my eye And I felt as though God, through his spirit, was giving me a bit of an insight into a situation that he was facing at work and prompting me to go and offer to pray for him. So initially I was like, God, I'm on holiday here. Um, But um, but a few years ago I've been in a similar situation with a guy in the street where I basically just bottled it. And then I regretted it. And so ever since then I've kind of made a bit of a promise. Okay, God, if I sense you speak, I'll just just go with it. So I introduced myself myself, and and I shared this word that I had And he said, well, that is the weirdest conversation that I've ever had. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) But um, but does any of that sound familiar to you? Um, Does that ring any bells? And he looked at me and he said, no. He said, but if it makes you feel better to go around doing that, then I guess I haven't really got a problem with it. And it was, it was humiliating. I have no idea whether I was completely wrong or whether, you know, maybe he didn't want to talk about it. But either way, it didn't go how I planned. And so I sort of skulked back to my tent. I don't know if you've, have you ever had an experience like that? Have you ever had a moment where you were convinced that God was going to do something only for nothing seemed to happen? You felt like you got it wrong. Have you ever longed for healing or for justice for someone or for a group of people, but you continue to see them suffer despite your prayers? Have you ever sensed God open up the opportunity of a lifetime, you know, like the house or the spouse or the job of your dreams only for that door to come and biff you back on the nose as you step into it? I believe that one of the best ways of understanding this kind of tension um, is to grow in our understanding of the kingdom of God. And as I said last week, John was here and he explored the questions of what is the kingdom of God and why is it such a big deal? Why is it important? And he explained that the kingdom of God is not so much a a political or a, a geographical kingdom, but it's more related to the arena in which God's influence, his desires are expressed. And one helpful phrase that he used um, to help understand the essence of the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God. So when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come is the same thing as saying your will be done. Those two parallel statements mean essentially the same thing. So the kingdom of God is like a vision, really, of a world or a life or an existence where there is peace, where there is abundance, where there is justice and healing. In the kingdom of God, God's people live lives in the midst of God's presence, um, under his reign and experiencing his blessing. And it's, a, it's a, a vision of a life that's so captivating that once you, once you see it, 
once it gets your heart, you'd give up everything else to pursue it. That's why it's so amazing. That's why it's so important and why Jesus said, um, was recorded in Luke chapter 4 as saying that preaching the good news of the kingdom of God was the reason that he had been sent. So today we're going to move on from those questions of what is it and why is it important to, to when and who. And I appreciate that those aren't necessarily the questions that are on your, on your mind, but I think they probably were the questions that were on the minds of Jewish people in, um, in, in, in the Middle East 2,000 years ago because they had this belief that one day the kingdom of God was going to come. Their, um, their scriptures, what we read as our Old Testament, contain prophecies that an anointed leader is one day going to come to save God's people and establish this kingdom of, of peace and abundance and well-being. And to them at the time, they were living under the political and militaristic occupation of the Romans. And so they were longing for this anointed king to come and liberate them. They were asking, who is he and when is he coming? And so when Jesus arrived and he said these words recorded in Mark, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. He was, you see, that was kind of a big deal for him to say that because he was basically answering the two questions they were asking. Who? Me. When? Right now. The time's come. And so this statement would have raised expectations, but it also would have raised eyebrows and questions because, well, it still does today. If you think about it, if the, think, if the kingdom of God came 2,000 years ago with Jesus, then why is it that we don't see God's kingdom all around us in the here and now? Why is it that we live in a world that isn't filled with peace, where there's so much darkness and pain? You know, as I was writing this, I just went on the BBC News website, um, and I could see a whole range of tragic news stories, to be honest, as you would any week. Um, so the murder trial of Sarah Everard was there, the conflict that's going on in Israel, famine in Tigray, um, a war-torn region in Ethiopia. And here locally, in our church community, literally two days ago, I was stood just here presiding over a funeral service for a friend in our small group who died prematurely of cancer despite hundreds of prayers from our small group and other, other friends. And so if Jesus is king, if his kingdom came 2,000 years ago, then shouldn't we expect the world to look a bit better than it does? And perhaps if you're exploring faith, that might be one of the big questions that you have about God. And it's not a new question. In the, um, in the Gospels, in the stories of Jesus' life, news began to spread about Jesus and what he was doing, his teaching and his healings. But at the same time, there was a distinct lack of the Roman Empire being conquered. And, um, and also some of the more sort of emphatic things that were supposed to happen when the Messiah arrived in terms of the world hadn't seemed to kick in yet. And so people were asking questions, and it led even Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, send some of his disciples to Jesus to ask this question, are you the one who is to come, or should we, should we expect somebody else? And some um, theologians, like the vineyard scholar I mentioned earlier, Derek Morphew, suggest that part of the confusion um, also stems from the fact that, that when Jesus talked about the kingdom in his statements and, and in the parables that he shared, he seems to describe the kingdom of God in different tenses. So sometimes he's saying, it's here in, um, in Matthew, the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
And he's not just proclaiming it, he's also demonstrating it. So, you know, he's casting out demons in Mark chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 9, he's forgiving sins. In um, John chapter 11, he's raising the dead. Um, And in Mark chapter 4, he's controlling nature, calming the storm. But then sometimes he describes the coming of the kingdom of God as a future or delayed event. So he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that takes time to grow into the fullness of a tree or like yeast that's gradually worked through a batch of dough. In Luke chapter 19, it says Jesus told a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. And he goes on to tell a a parable, um, the parable of the minas, a bit like it's the same as the parable of the talents, where the king's servants have a period of time where they're to prepare for the king's return. And similarly, in Matthew chapter 24, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then and I'm sort of emphasizing that, and then the end will come, he says. So according to Jesus, the kingdom of God is here, it's near, but it's also future and delayed somehow. And it's a, it, it is a confusing tension, which many people believe that's what Jesus was talking about, referring to when he talked about the mystery of the kingdom of God, something that until that point hadn't been revealed, and that was that the kingdom of God was coming in an unexpected way, where it arrived in the ministry of Jesus, and yet 2,000 years later, we're still waiting for it to arrive in all of its completeness and fullness. And so if you've ever felt like the kingdom of God, this topic is hard to get your heads around, I think it's safe to say it's because it is. Um, And certainly um, doing this, to be honest, preaching about the timing of the kingdom of God, doing this, it feels a little bit like trying to pin jelly to the wall. And understandably, there's been a lot of debate in the church over the years about how we interpret this tension. And so on one extreme, you get some Christians who are so in love with the idea that the kingdom of God has come, the now of it, that they emphasize all the times that Jesus proclaimed and he demonstrated the kingdom, but they end up sort of downplaying or overlooking the not yet bits. And so this can be a bit triumphalistic. It's a bit like saying England have won the Euros before we've even played a game. But it can also create a bit of pressure on people to have some kind of like special faith. That if you actually understood this properly, if you actually had the right belief, then you would see the kingdom break in every time you prayed. But then other Christians go too far the other way. And they look at the world around us and how much pain and suffering there is and conclude that, you know, the not yet scriptures, they must be the ones that are actually true. Um, and uh, maybe the now ones were just for when Jesus was around, Um, and they end up concluding that we can't realistically have much hope or expectation to see God's kingdom break in in the midst of what is, you know, a broken world. And so really what we've got to do is is just wait for Jesus to come back and fix everything, and then everything will be okay. And so we're going to explore this kind of tension, by the way, a little bit more in the small group resources this week. So if this is getting your brain going, do, do, do engage with those. But essentially, in the vineyard, what we try and do, we try and embrace a view that honors and upholds everything that Jesus said and hold these things in tension. And so we use language like um, the already and the not yet, if you've ever heard that phrase. Or if you prefer more theological language, the theologian N.T. Wright coined the phrase inaugurated eschatology. 
Yes, I know. I, I sound clever now, don't I? So inaugurated essentially just means um, the beginning, um, something, the introduction of something. Eschatology comes from the Greek word eschaton, which means end things. So really that phrase just means the end has kind of begun, but it hasn't arrived yet. And so some people find it helpful to present this graphically with some diagrams. We've got some snazzy diagrams. So you can see there's two ages. There's this age that we're in, and then there's the age to come that's going to kick in once Jesus returns. And um, we, the Christian, in that diagram, by the way, it, that looks quite imminent, doesn't it? Um, that's just, nobody really knows when that's going to happen, so don't, don't, don't read too much into that. But the idea is that somehow in Jesus' life, and the events of his life, his, his, um, his ministry and his message in the cross, or the resurrection, and then after his life at Pentecost, somehow the age to come, aspects of it kind of broke in to the present age, and you'll see them just break in there. And so that now the Christian community, us as a church, we live in this time where we're sort of like in between these two ages. They've kind of overlapped, and we are experiencing them simultaneously. Now, I know for some people the chart doesn't help to explain things. That might be a bit confusing. Another way people explain it is using the illustration of the end of World War II, where um, World War II effectively was decided on D-Day, when the Allied troops landed on the beach in France. Um, and that happened in June 1944. But officially the World War ended over a year later in 1945 on what they call VJ Day, VJ Day, the world, the world War ended worldwide. And, um, of course, between those two dates, there were battles and there were casualties in between the two. And in the same way, in the kingdom of God, the turning point has already been reached. In Jesus' life and death and resurrection, D-Day occurred. The decisive victory over Satan has been won. And yet we're still waiting, despite the kingdom of God being inaugurated, for it to arrive in its fullness. That will be VJ Day. When, when Jesus returns and Satan will be vanquished once and for all, there will be the rule and reign of God in Christ will be perfectly expressed here on earth as it is in heaven, and the age to come will be fully experienced. And so until that point, we live in this flawed world with brokenness and hardship and pain and unanswered prayers. Now this experience as we all know from our own lives, isn't always comfortable. Theologians have another catchy phrase for this too, eschatological tension. And it's a technical phrase, but it basically alludes to what I was talking about at the start, that you know, sometimes you think you've heard for God and you go and offer to pray for a guy at a campsite and you get it wrong and you end up feeling like a wally. Or you hope and you long to see God's kingdom break in as it applies to, to healing, to recovery, to justice, to poverty, to health, to relationships, but we encounter the not yet. So how do we best live in this tension? Well, for a start, because Jesus said it's here and it's near, we respond to what Jesus said by living with an expectation that it will. We believe that God, for example, has granted us authority and he has commissioned us to go and preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world. And so we're to pray for healing, uh, cast out demons, prophesy, love the poor, champion justice, um, the whole shebang. Even pray that the dead would be raised. It's all on the table as fair game. 
And that's why, um, as John said last week, the, the mission statement for Vineyard Churches UK and Ireland is, um, is extending God's kingdom together um, everywhere in every way. Or if you prefer, in the words of the prophet Belinda Carlisle, ooh baby, do you know what that's worth? We'll make heaven a place on earth. <laughs> we, believe, <laughs> we believe that, um, that through the church, God wants to change the world around us. And um, we are called to be agents of God's kingdom, changing our cities through the extension of God's kingdom. That's what we're about. We anticipate God's kingdom to break in at any moment. And so we carry an expectation. You know, I remember a while ago, I was over there somewhere praying for a friend's ankle to get healed. And, um, and it did. And I like gasped with surprise. And he said, you know, we shouldn't be so surprised, actually. You know, if this is, this, is, this is real, which we believe it is, then we shouldn't be so surprised. And he made a good point. We should carry an expectation. And so we don't pray tentative, passive prayers like, you know, oh, Lord, I know it's a really big ask, um, and so I'm just going to leave this one with you. Your will be done, I guess. That's not how we pray. We, we, we pray the way Jesus told us to, which is your kingdom come, your will be done in his name and in his authority. And we expect people to encounter God as we do. So we have an expectation. But at the same time, we acknowledge that there isn't a guaranteed formula for making the kingdom break in. We recognize that there will be setbacks along the way. I think it was John Wimber, I think, who said, not everybody that I pray for gets healed, but more people get healed when I pray for 100 than when I pray for none. Because Jesus said the coming of the kingdom of God is, is, is future and delayed, we acknowledge that part of the Christian life is about longing for it to break in and preparing for it to break in. And so that doesn't mean that we prepare. It doesn't mean that we're passive, that we can kind of be content with injustice or poverty in the world around us. Um, it doesn't mean that we can be content with the times when we succumb to temptation and sin and our own brokenness. It's not an excuse to, be, to just sit back and um, go, well, I've prayed my prayer of salvation. I know I'm going to heaven. I'll just wait for Jesus to come and fix everything in. That's not how we live. But it does mean that we acknowledge that sometimes the kingdom of God doesn't break in in that moment and we can't necessarily explain why. And so if a person doesn't get healed, for example, when we pray for them, um, we don't jump in and tell them, oh, that's because of your lack of faith or sin or disbelief. It's true that, that, that faith and expectation have a big influence in God's kingdom breaking in. And it's true that you know, habitual sin can be a hindrance to us receiving all that God has for us. But these are just two of many factors in what is actually quite a complex spiritual picture that's also quite mysterious. And so I believe that it's, it's, it's not wise, it's not biblical, and it's just not loving to tell a person, oh, you weren't healed because of your lack of faith or your disbelief. So we, we don't do that. We, nor do we encourage people to stop taking medication or not go to the doctor as an expression of faith. We, we can't make God's kingdom come. And there are times where we just simply have to long for it and prepare for it. And I think this is kind of the tone of how the Bible ends. If you skip right to the back of Revelation, it ends with this promise from Jesus. He says, yes, I am coming soon. And the response is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. When we experience pain and injustice and disappointment, 
we do two things. We, we pray that prayer. We say, come, Lord Jesus, would you come and make this world right? And we believe that there is more to it than this, than what we experience here and now. There is more. There is more to come. But meanwhile, we also prepare ourselves and this world for his return. Taking our foot off the gas in the meantime is not an option on the table. So we, we acknowledge what Paul said, that we ourselves are unimpressive, simply jars of clay, but we carry inside of us this, um, this treasure, the good news of the kingdom, that one day the king will return. And on that day, his people will enter with him into his fulfilled and perfect kingdom. But until then, we continue to seek his kingdom here and now today. We live kingdom lives. So what we do is we, we don't buy into the flawed ideals of this world, of wealth and, and power and comfort that this world offers us. Instead, we put all of our hopes and our trust in Jesus and his kingdom. And we look to our friends around us and we long for their hearts to be captivated by this vision of the kingdom in the same way, such that their hearts and their souls would just be caught up and swept into salvation as they turn to Jesus and put all of their hopes in him. That's how we live. That's the living hope that we carry inside of us. And we continue to pray each day as Jesus taught us to. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 